Hello and welcome to another episode of Beard to Ed Chat, where we celebrate learning and teaching, offer support for parents and pupils, and provide development opportunities for staff. Hello and welcome to another episode of Beard Ed Chat. I'm joined by Kerry Abercrombie, who's a member of the Connected Falkirk team. How are you getting on, Kerry? I'm good, I'm good. How are you? I'm fine. A bit of light at the end of the tunnel, uh, back to school next week. Um, so really looking forward to seeing some pupils and possibly doing some normal PE and not miss, not channeling my inner Joe Wicks for live circuits. I'm looking forward to going back to that. What have you been up to? Because you've done the unthinkable, haven't you? You've gone on secondment and gone away from the classroom. I have, so I have. How have you been getting on? What sort of things have you been up to? Yeah, it's been good. It's I feel I do feel a little bit like a a traitor, I guess. Like you know, all this stuff's going on, and teachers really are, you know, rising to the the multiple challenges that we've faced over this lockdown. And I, and I feel like a little bit, you know, like I've jumped ship. Um, mm-hmm. So power to all of you because you've been doing a huge amount of work. Um, that I mean, that's it. It's all idea of working together. And like before, I usually kick off the cop podcast I like to set the tone so the way the tone really works for my show is that I believe that teachers sharing and working together is a way to improve teaching and as a result raise attainment as a staff member you'll feel supported empowered and happier in your job the challenge is convincing people to have the confidence to share the confidence to ask and to understand they can make a positive contribution when working together none of us will ever be the finished article but we can all improve the learning experience of young people by working together with all that being said uh, I'm a big fan of first. You're the first person who's maybe stepped out of the teaching role to appear on the podcast. So I'm very excited to hear your input from the things that you've been up to so far. And I'm also looking forward to hearing about your teaching career prior to you leaving. Well, not leaving the profession because you're probably leading the profession with what you're up to just now anyway. So that's the kind of plan for the podcast. How's that sounding? Sounds great. Let's do Sounds, it. Let's do it. Perfect. So um, the first question I want to ask you is... I want to know about your career. Where did you study? So essentially from the finishing high school uh, and to where you are today. So tell me about your career. Where did you study? How long for? And where was your first school? Give us an insight how you became to where you are in your career. Okay, so I, I'm I'm not a natural teacher when it comes to like, you know, when people have always had this plan of they're going to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, when I first left school, I was only 17 and I kind of did that thing of like, oh, well, I suppose I'll go to uni because that's what people do. Um, and ended up having a, a false start. I left after first year of studying linguistics and social anthropology, which no joke, like I just picked out the catalogue, I ran my finger down, stopped at a certain point and went, ah, that sounds fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, full disclosure not a good way to choose your university course for anyone <laughs> better planning maybe hi just maybe have a wee think about what you're actually interested in first um so yeah i had a false start lived in edinburgh for a couple of years kind of did a variety of jobs i've been you know the usual bartender waitress um i've also been a, a chalk sign writer and a magician's assistant which always tends to get a little bit of a laugh brilliant um, so done a bunch of things and then decided to go back to uni actually after meeting with a friend's dad who I've always loved reading um, and he kind of said to me oh what are you reading just now and I said oh you know just this week must have been something like confessions of a shopaholic or some other kind of like trash book um, and he said here's a bunch of books um, just read one of them 
and I looked at them and I was like, ah, mate, these are all school books. These are, it's all like Charles Dickens and Jane Austen and stuff. I was like, ah, that's not for me. But I wasn't really doing anything anyway. So I decided to give it a go and I read Great Expectations and I was like, oh my goodness, this is a revelation. Like school books can actually be enjoyable. Like the things at that <laughs> moment of like, oh, wait a minute. The reason they teach these in schools is because they are great works of art and not just because it's like something that your teachers picked. Yeah. Um, so I went back and had a conversation with him and he said, look, I really think that you should go to uni and study to be an English teacher. I think that, you know, that you're the type of person who likes people. You, you love reading. You love writing. You're like just so into all of that sort of stuff. Use this for good. Um, I say good, like that sounds so, you know, <laughs> but like use this passion to kind of make a difference. And I was like, right, right, OK, that sounds all right. And then so I went to Stirling University um, with. Uh, a colleague of mine who I think you know very well, uh, Miss Lynch. Uh, oh, form, formerly Miss Lynch, now Mrs. Riley, isn't of it? Of course. Unfortunately, she left the clan. And that's been a couple. <laughs> that's, that's been a couple of years now, believe it or not, that they've been they've been I married. Oh, I know. Um, so, for context, for everyone listening, um, Kerry is one of my sister's best friends from university and was a bridesmaid at uh, my sister's wedding. Um, so this is how we know each other. So I think I first met you at graduation when you and Claire pretended to be Dementors yes. by the Stirling Uni Loch. And I was just like, she's going to be a cracking teacher. She's that right kind of mental. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, the right kind of mental. That's exactly it. Um, I think we'll skip over the the co-oping of the boat at your sister's wedding. Yes. Um, for just now, just in case anyone gets into any trouble. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, didn't want to throw your your little brother under the bus. Um, but yeah, so that's that's kind of. I went to Stirling Uni, and Claire and I actually were the the only two people in that year group to study um, English and film and media. So we came out dual qualified at the end of it which is amazing in itself yeah yeah so I then on my probation year went tick the box as you do and went up Quite to right. Right. yeah and um, well that's a lot of money to to say no to if you've not got any ties or I ticked the box and got motherwell oh did you I was, I was so lucky Oh I think Claire, did Claire not tick the box and get Blair Gowrie as well, which is just up the road to Dundee? Yeah, I think I think so. I think it's definitely worth ticking. If you've got no mm. reason to not do it. Definitely, I, I recommend it highly. I, I think the thing is as well, it was good for me to get out of the, the education environment that I had known. So the Central Belt was obviously where I had gone to school. It was all mm -hmm. I knew. And, I, and going up to Aberdeenshire... Um, really was something different from just a kind of social perspective as well as like what, what education is sort of like up there and what's going on working in a rural school or a semi-rural school uh, was very different to anything that I had experienced yeah. um, and you'll be the same having been up you know up north for a while as well yeah um, it's good to I think it's I think teachers should move around as much as they can um, yes. everyone has got the reasons to stay in one school which is which is fine but it is interesting to just learn different things and see how different places work because it's quite easy to almost just think about that your school is the only school that exists but then if you start mm -hmm. looking outward and then you can actually like essentially steal practice from other schools to make your teaching in your school better so i think it's actually a good thing if you can to whilst you've got that timing early on in your career to maybe have a look at different schools if you can but if you yeah. can't that's just the way that way it works but i do recommend it for anyone Totally, I totally agree. So I was up in Aberdeenshire at uh, the Gordon Schools, which was fabulous. And I was there for four years. 
And then I decided for family reasons to move back down the road um, to the Falkirk area and ended up at Larbert High School, which could not have been any more different to an yeah. school up the road. Is it true? Is Larbert the biggest high school in Scotland? I think it's one of the schools. One of, yeah. Yeah, we're currently at um, over 1,900 pupils. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a big, big, big place. And for context, my school is a school role of about 700. So, and I've only ever taught in small schools. So my next challenge, I think, will be a big school. I yeah. think it'll be quite interesting to see that perspective. So I'd look I, Well, it was huge. Like I had went, the role at my old school was 400. And mm -hmm. so to go from 400 to over 1900 was was wild um but i've absolutely loved my time at larbert high i couldn't have enjoyed it more you know i think the the kind of value of being in a big school is all about like just the variety of ways that different things are done um there's you know so many colleagues like you're saying you know to kind of bounce off and get ideas from and all of the departments are so huge that you know even within your own department you've got all those people but then when you start going over to humanities or going down to techie like you know there's so many people doing so many different things it's mm -hmm. just this huge like melting pot of ideas and of practice and you know it's 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 really exciting actually yeah good but I am no longer there, so mm -hmm. saying all that, I decided to, to branch out. Um, I, I guess like sort of a couple of years ago, um, I started to get really into the digital stuff. I became an Apple professional learning specialist. Okay. And was involved in quite a lot of, you know, um, you know, these kind of talks that people do at like a Scottish Learning Festival and stuff like mm -hmm. that, using tech in the classroom. Um, and then an opportunity came up to uh, go on secondment with the Connected Falkirk team and I decided to go for it. After having been in the classroom for eight years, I thought, why not go and look at something else and try and affect change on a, a wider scale? Yeah, definitely. And how's that been for you so far then? How, how long have you been in that post at Connected Falkirk? So we've been in post since April of last year, so it's coming up to a year, but obviously with covid and lockdown and all that mm -hmm. sort of stuff um it was kind of to start with it was a little bit weird you know because you're not in class but you're also not in an office because everyone's working from home so we've had to kind of get to know each other as a team virtually um, yeah. and start working on lots of planning um lots and lots of meetings the big thing i would say is the difference is the amount of meetings that you have mm -hmm. to attend obviously is is huge and i do miss the kids an, an awful lot that's the biggest thing i would say is, is is that interaction with young people um you know on a regular basis it does something for you even just beyond learning and teaching just about like you know your social perspectives and just kind of keeping your energy up and your and i think a lot of people have felt this during lockdown you know the yeah. kids do give you energy um, and when they're sitting in front of you and you're in a classroom environment and everyone's like laughing and learning and having a good time, that has a huge impact on your well-being. I totally agree with that because um, I feel that my job has so much purpose. I think every, te every teacher goes into the job because there's a, there's a purpose. Like You're going to be uh, helping young people through their learning journey at school to possibly get to a destination that they want to after school sort of thing. So that whole learning process is enjoyable and last week when I was on with my friend Catherine, we were talking about how it's addictive and it's that you keep mm -hmm. coming back for more because um, 
I've talked about this idea in the podcast where there's so many people in the profession, there's so many people applying to come into the profession. Like there's something's working that's right. And it's, I think it's the enjoyable factor from the day to day when it comes to interacting with pupils. And a challenge that I've really found uh, this time around is due to some things with engagement and devices and there's different issues why pupils can't log on to your lesson. I've really missed it, really missed it this time around. So um looking forward to next Monday to seeing some pupils, although it'll be on like a, a part-time basis, but having that interaction and just making sure, checking in that they're okay, okay as well, because there's that part where you know individual pupils in your class, and you're like, they're going to have maybe a difficult time over this lockdown, just checking in and seeing how everyone's doing. So looking forward yeah. to getting back in the classroom myself. And that's only been a matter of weeks and months for me. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I, I think fundamentally teaching is about relationships, mm -hmm. you know, and massively. And that's that's a lot of certainly what a lot of concerns of a lot of teachers has been over this lockdown period is about how you maintain those positive relationships and how you for you and for the kids, you know. Yeah, definitely. Uh, that was brilliant. So that was quite a a variety of things you've done across your career already, which has been fantastic to hear. Um, so what I want to kind of delve into just now is Connected Falkirk, um, what does this involve? So this role that you're doing, what are the kind of things that you've been doing with this Connected Falkirk team? Cool. So the Connected Falkirk project is um, a one-to-one -one transformational learning and teaching project. So just to give a bit of sort of context, in Falkirk Council, we are responsible in the Connected Falkirk team for planning, deploying and delivering and supporting a one-to-one -one device project with primary six to S6 and then one to five device projects from primary one to primary five. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes all teaching staff as well. So we've been trying to get that off the ground. Um, we're currently in the situation where um, the teachers have all been deployed to and we're about to start looking at getting devices out to kids, which is very, very exciting. Very exciting. Um, but our role really is to try and make the delivery of this as smooth and as supported as possible for everybody involved. So from the technical bits of how we actually get into schools and deliver the devices and make sure they're working, um, including, you know, Wi-Fi upgrades and all that sort of stuff, to really the bit that, that interests me the most, which is the, the pedagogical side of stuff. So how can we support um, our educators to be able to use digital in a pedagogical way that enhances learning and teaching and really, you know, has a positive impact on those learning and teaching experiences for our young people. That's really mm -hmm. what it's all about. So there's been a lot of sort of CLPL planning. There's been a couple of CLPL deliveries, but we're really gearing up for that sort of idea of once the kids have all got their devices, we want to try and support people as much as possible to go on their own digital journey, you know, yeah. within themselves as a pedagogue. Because we're um, we're at a point now and at teaching and we've, kind of, we've been at the point since the first lockdown with the digital transformation side of things um, where we've got these different platforms that are robust enough to incorporate into your practice, uh, but they're not solely to be used for lockdown purposes. Mm -hmm. um, and a way that you can actually, or and I imagine what Connected Falkirk's doing is the one-to-one -one devices thing to enable teachers to go on that learning journey is there needs to be a buy-in and the buy-in is the one-to-one -one devices and make it accessible to every pupil. Uh, at my school just now, we're kind of 
uh, on that process and I'm hoping we're going to get there sooner rather than later because the dream is that it's like right boys and girls and get out your pens and pencils it's like right boys and girls pull out your device and then everyone's got the device and they're able to interact with each other using the medium that your school's chosen and teaching them how to collaborate to teach them how to create and getting them to enjoy the learning process in a new way and I think it's quite difficult for um, some teachers to or change or maybe learn it in a way if it's not being familiar uh, this will, like familiarity can be um a barrier to learning mm -hmm. if it's because teachers just need to have a play first they need to know yeah. themselves how to use it properly and i think having a group like the connected Falkirk team and coaching them along the way has been fantastic and i think there's been a, a smoother transition because you guys have been also heavily involved in leading the way so well done on that thanks thanks very much <laughs> So excellent. So that's the connected Falkirk team. So really supporting the council on the move to the one-to-one -one devices. Uh, the whole part of the podcast is I love learning and teaching the whole joy. And, and I'm sure with where you are in your career, you're going to have lots of good practice to potentially share. Um, so one thing I'm really interested in is integrating digital learning into, into classroom practice. When did you first start using this? And why do you believe it is essential for young people to learn these skills? So I think... As I've already said, I came out like as a as a media teacher, and I've always taught mm. some form of media, and I think that really is where it stemmed from. Digital and the teaching of film and media go hand in hand because in order to teach, you know, filmmaking, you have to use forms of digital technology. So mm. it kind of came from that filmmaking sort of background, um, and I guess that's almost where, like you're saying, the familiarity, that's where I became familiar with this idea of like using devices in the classroom for initially filmmaking. And it just kind of grew from there, like, oh, well, what, I've got this. What else can I use this for? Um, and I think that, you know, there's a, an element of it where I'm kind of like, well, I use digital all the time in my everyday life. And it makes improvements for me. It makes things easier for me. It makes things, you know, more streamlined. Why would I not then try to use the same technologies or types of technologies to make my working life easier on myself? Mm. And I think that's kind of where it comes from a little bit. Um, but also on the other side of it, you know, what you're offering for the young people by incorporating these things. And I think you've hit on that idea you know, in that last bit where you were saying, you know, it's not just a tool for yeah. learning. It's not just something that we should be doing when we can't see the kids face to face. Um, I've been using digital in my teaching practice for, well, at Larbert High School, they use Google Classroom. Um, and I know yeah. that you're Google Classroom as well. Love Google. It's my uh, favourite. Um, and so the incorporation of that into your everyday classroom, I mean, the first lesson every year, with classes is okay let's go over the expectations and all that sort of stuff mm -hmm. and then right let's get onto the google classroom let's get joined let's make sure everybody's on here and then using it just sort of it almost kind of fits in seamlessly to the life of your classroom so, yeah you know if, if kids have made something especially in you know media classes kids have made something a little film or a little piece right cool um, see instead of you going and putting that on a computer, putting it on a USB and then putting it da, 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 just post post on the Google Classroom from your own phone. Like it just makes everything quicker and easier. Mm. Um, and it was the same with, you know, things things like uh, if you had 
materials that you wanted them to look at. We had a bring your own device policy at Larbert High, so the young people were allowed to use their mobile phones in class. And I was lucky enough um, to have a number of uh, devices in my classroom as well that I could supplement any kids that didn't have. Yeah, that, that is lucky. Quite bold as well to say for people to use their phone as well. It's Because when you're teaching the digital side of things, it's the responsibility with technology that comes along with it as well yeah. there's a lot of skills that you're actually teaching it's not that they're using like google classroom they're learning other skills on top of it and it's like self-regulation as well oh, you're right. working on google classroom you're not going on tiktok right now we're here to learn um because totally. as you say um you've used um like imagine we, like we use calendars we use alarms we've got alexas and stuff that helps like set all these reminders and help us cook um it's important that pupils are able to differentiate between what's essentially something they use to socialise with and something they use to work with. Because I check my emails on my phone. I, I post from Google Classroom on my phone as well. Yeah. Like I, I use it for work purposes. So it's a differentiating between the two, which is a skill which is learned in itself through exploring the digital technologies in school. Yeah. I think that's that's part of it as well when you're talking about like why do you think it's important to, to, to teach young people these skills? It's about the fabric of what makes up our modern life, you know? It, it, it's part and parcel of what we do every day in terms of the structure of society, the structure of our, our social lives, the structure of our entertainment lives, like entertainment lives, that is your social life, but you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Your personal life, it, it, it's not about using it as an add-on, it's about exploring how those technologies are embedded into everyday life and looking at, well, okay, if I have a classroom and I'm not making the most of that opportunity to show that the fabric of, you know, life is made up of the, the real and the digital, the, not like digital is not real, but you know what I mean, like the virtual mm -hmm. and the non-virtual or the digital and the analogue, you know, you're, you're almost kind of not robbing them of an experience. That's absolutely not what I mean, but you, you are, there is a deficit there. Yeah. You know? Um, and at the end of the day, you're trying to prepare young people for life, learning and work and to be successful in life, learning and work. And how many adults do you know in their working life who don't use any form of digital technology? I know. And it's, you're making me think of a time when I was at school. Um, I can't remember what subject it was, but I remember saying to the teacher, oh, I'll just Google it. And they're like, no, check the textbook. And they're like, I was like, no, but Google will give me the answer straight away. And they're like, no, Google won't be there forever. And I was like, and now I'm like four or five years into the career. I was like, I'm teaching through Google. Like, I, was, <laughs> I was like 14, 15, and I was right. Like, that's what I'm doing right now. How did you like them um, apples, Miss? So these digital skills are like, they're essential. And I think they are becoming more and more part of everyone's day to day. And I, it should. And I I, I, sorry to interrupt. I, I just think okay. as well, like, you know, when we think about teaching as a whole or education as a whole, yes, it's about knowledge and it's about learning, but it's also about learning those, what we would maybe think is like softer skills or softer areas. Like it's about, you know, b behavioral learning and it's about mm -hmm. social learning and it's about learning. You know, we, we touch on all these things that exist within our society already. We do teach about morals, we do teach about ethics discreetly, although well, unless you're an RMPS teacher, but discreetly, mm. you know, through your lessons and through the experiences young people have in the classroom, because morals and ethics are part of what it means to, to be living in the world that we live in. 
And while I'm not saying that, you know, digital technology is the same as morals and ethics, what I'm saying is it makes up what it means to be, you know, a functioning member of society in this day and age and that the oh, day and totally. age preparing young people for. So to not kind of at least draw their attention to that in some kind of way is missing a trick, really, I think, in a, in a lot of ways. Yeah, definitely. So what we're saying there was... Um, talking about digital practices when you first started using it. So you've been talking about there how you essentially just as a media teacher, it's just become part and parcel with your practice sort of thing. And you kind of had to have the skills ready to go to be as an effective teacher as you have been in the past uh, for that subject. Um, and we've discussed there why really it's essential for young people to learn these skills. And it's a massive responsibility for teachers um, because as we keep saying, it's fitting into the day-to-day -day lives and we've got a responsibility to make sure that we are giving pupils these skills that they will, they will need for when they leave school. And like working at the moment is working from home. Mm -hmm. And all these skills, you, whether you're using Google Classroom or Microsoft Teams and video call and whatever it's going to be, this is what it does tend to look like and what people are going through right now during the current pandemic. Right. There's also like the fact though that like, so everything I know, well, largely in terms of digital, I've kind of taught myself, like going back to what you said about that time mm -hmm. to play, that time to explore. Yeah. And I guess that does kind of come from like quite a curious nature. Um, but equally, I think it's really important to highlight that I, I genuinely do not believe that teachers need to be technologists. You don't need to know how to work everything. You don't mm -hmm. need to be finger on the pulse of every single software that's out there. You don't, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like when you got Google Classroom at first, I don't need to know how this works. I just need to know how it works for me. Yeah. I don't and you adapt to it to your own practice, don't exactly. you, as you go? Exactly. And if it doesn't work, then get rid of it and find something mm. else in the same way that you would do for any other sort of you know strategy within your pedagogy if it's not going to work for you then try it try a different way and yeah. the principle is is the same for digital because you know we're not technologists we're we're teachers we are and our you know bread and butter is learning and teaching it's pedagogy and the technology that you're using should be helping you to improve that um, not just using it for the sake of like, oh, well, I suppose I should. And I think we're kind of getting past that now because of the yeah. pandemic's kind of brought lots of people up to speed in that. But I think there's often a misconception that you have to be good at tech in order to use tech in your classroom. And I don't necessarily know that that's true. I'm not denying that the hill mm -hmm. that people maybe have to climb, you know, might be harder for some than others or more challenging for some than others. But you don't need to be, you know... I mean, like for Steve Jobs for, to be able to yeah because like for me it was winter of 2019 I had experience of Google Classroom up north not a lot but some and then I went to some training put on by the council and then come January 20, 2020 I was like I'm moving everything to Google Classroom because mm -hmm. I'd, I'd, I'd played with it. and one thing that I think is quite interesting with that so you're obviously a digital leader within Falkirk mm -hmm. um our mutual friend, my sister, is a digital <laughs> leader in her school as well. Yeah. Uh, and I'm a digital leader. Why do you think that is that we're three completely separate people on three separate, um, essentially, career trajectories? Mm -hmm. Why do you think that we have become these digital leaders or why do you think we've kind of gone that way? 
don't I don't know if it's to do with like this buy-in that you're talking about. Some people mm-hmm. buy into it more than others. I think it's a very complex question because there's so many different factors that kind of lead yeah. to that. So there's a whole buy-in and who is more likely as a as a person to buy into that? Who is more likely as a pedagogue to buy into that? What where is the the sort of you know the the crossover in our values between our personal values and our professional mm-hmm. values? Sometimes that might be something that that kind of tips people over into a certain way. Um, I, I really don't know because I don't think, you know, there's this whole age old thing of like, oh, well, you know, people who have grown up with it are more likely to be, I, I mm-hmm. you know, low key kind of reject that. Like I know a lot of people who are from various different age groups on the census box who are equally good and equally bad. Yeah. Um, so I think that's quite a, a kind of a reductive viewpoint a little bit. I think it's got a lot to do with your own personal values and where they merge with your professional mm. values and also to do with your curiosity and also to do with your willingness to take risks. I would say that the three of us are risk takers, perhaps. Yeah. We like to kind of, you know, try Challenge to the norm. I and like to see what else is out there, have a wee play because you don't know what you don't know. Mm-hmm. And that eternally is all, always a thing for me. Like if I don't know how to do something, I'll go and find a way to do it or find out or yeah, like a problem solving thing, you know? Because for me, and I'm Googled out my nut, as I like to say, <laughs> um, I've done my Google level one, my Google level two, and I'm a big thing on, there's a term in PE called minimal effort, maximum efficiency. So it's all about when you're performing a skill. So if you're performing a set shot in basketball, you should be able to do that all day without exerting max max amount of energy. And then what I've learned through Google, being able to schedule like meeting calls, uh, using my calendar and getting all my resources put online has actually made me a more efficient teacher. Um, Could not agree more. And you'll know from your career, the PE teacher has to borrow classrooms because our classroom is the game hall and outside. So that used to look like a big box full of folders tripping through. But now essentially all I need to make sure I've got is either things that I've used in the lesson that would be on my iPad anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just need to turn up and because it's all cloud-based, log on, here's what we're doing today, guys. And totally. it's a lot. it's made me more efficient. And I think that was my buy-in um, because I thought I was an... I, I am an organised teacher. I'm even more organised now. But mm-hmm. I am, from my experience of integrating the digital learning side of things into my own practice, I've actually made myself a more effective teacher. And because mm-hmm. I feel the content that I'm delivering, I'm getting through more in terms of what's actually being covered than what I normally would. Um, uh, because I'm able to seamlessly, um, well, lucky I'm able to block book the computer labs, mm-hmm. for example. And I'm nearly at the point, now that I've been doing this for so long, that I'm thinking... If I was to go back, I would I would almost have like I'd be more nervous to go back the way than keep doing what I'm doing. So yeah. hopefully the push for one to one devices will help that. Um, but it has informed me. It's been more efficient, and I think that was my buy in. It wasn't a case of, and I like what you said. It's not an age thing. It's definitely not an age thing. It's a teaching thing. It's like what uh, for me it was. It made me better. It made me more efficient. It made me more organised. Therefore, I was able to focus on other aspects of my learning teaching to make sure that the experience I was giving young people is going to be better than the last and continue to improve and getting in that mindset of 
these digital technologies are going to help you, not hinder you. Yeah, I mean, coming from a coming from a totally different perspective, I think maybe that's an area where we're quite different in terms of, um, you know, I'm very much uh, like a um, how can I say this? Like I like physical things. Like I like pens and pencils and paper and big mm -hmm. sheets of paper for the kids to work on and uh, you know all these different sorts of ways of doing I'm a very sort of practical uh, classroom teacher if you know mm -hmm. what I mean. um so but I find that the the complementary nature of marrying the the practical and the digital together um for me like you say it's about maximum efficiency so mm -hmm. if I've got 30 kids in a room who have all, let's say, hand-drawn a storyboard, I can either take in all those storyboards and, you know, mark them all and lug them home with all the other drawers that I've got, or we can do the lesson as we normally would with the hand-drawn stuff and, their, you know, whatever, but then they take a photo of it and they upload it to Google Classroom and I can provide them that feedback digitally and I'm not mm -hmm. having to lug millions of books around and I can do it from wherever, whenever, and that is a huge benefit to me. It's the same with using things like, you know, even teaching in the English classroom, um, using uh, things like Mentimeter or Padlet, where mm -hmm. students are contributing to a whole class, you know, board or whatever. And then the ability to save that as a PDF and then post it on the Google Classroom for them to refer back to, like, how would I have done that before? If we had done, you know, a word bank task, let's say, or a word cloud task physically with post-its, how do I share that group learning with them for them to refer back to mm -hmm. easily and quickly? Well, actually, that becomes quite complicated. Uh, maybe we've got to make like a, a freeze or a, what do you call it, like a display in the classroom and then you're, you know, vying for space and stuff. Whereas here you've got unlimited space, you've got unlimited tools, you've got, you know, the efficiency of time, the efficiency of, you know, your 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 virtual learning environment. It's just that it's a no, it's a no brainer for me. I understand yeah. why people find it maybe difficult to make the transition, but I don't think it's a surprise that once people have bought in, I don't know anyone actually who's looked back since buying in. Yeah. And, Probably the turning point for me, so obviously it made me more efficient and I really liked that helping my organisation. But when I first started, it was um, I was speaking to my friends in other schools who had been using Google Classroom for a while. And one of the things you can do is the National 5P portfolio. Mm -hmm. um, so I had one pupil um, and I was you can see it in real time as they're typing it. And then in block capitals as lousy could he was like i had i just said i've got no idea how to answer this and started like putting expletives down and i was like so i said to them are you all right and they're like, what do you mean i was like i can see what you're typing and then it was like that realization moment i was like he was yeah. like oh my god and i was like i can help you and he was like i don't know what this question's understanding me to do so we were able to come out of the portfolio then go into the google classroom revisit all the stuff that specific to that question and then they were actually able to answer that question and then yeah. I think what was really powerful in that moment was is that that pupil wouldn't necessarily put their hand up and say, I need help. Totally. Uh, I, I, yeah, the, the, the ability to make interventions at appropriate times before they go down the wrong road is so powerful. I'm the same. I do like any kind of extended piece of work. So if it's like English folio or if it's media assignment, they do it as a Google Classroom document so I can see it. And you can see how they're progressing. And you can see if it's due tomorrow and you're wanting a thousand words and somebody's not even started you know two days before 
you mm-hmm. can get in touch with that person. Not, well, obviously, if you're in the classroom, you can say to them, like, look, oh, can I just tell you word? Like, is everything okay? Like, yeah, do you need a That's hand? a good way, yeah. You know, and, and, and that's where I think I'm talking about, like, that marrying of the digital and the analogue. It allows you a perspective that you don't have if they've got all their jotters folded away in their school bag. You know, yeah. you, you can see a lot more. And because you can see a lot more, you can help a lot more. Or yeah. help a lot more effectively, maybe, perhaps. Yeah, best. definitely. That's a good way of putting it. Help a lot more. Because every teacher will help, but you can help yes. more effectively if you're integrating this into your teaching. So that was great. Covered a lot there. Um, before I go into question four, so, and then this could be a loaded question. But <laughs> okay. It's my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, where do you fall on the Google Classroom, Teams, Canva, um, Edmodo? Is it Edmondo? Ed, I think it's Edmodo. Where do you fall on the digital learning platforms? What do you think is your personal favourite, not necessarily the favourite? So, well, my personal favourite and the one I use is Google Classroom, but I'm mm-hmm. really clear on what my views are on this. I think that people should use whatever works for them and their young people. Totally. I think if, if you've got something that works for you, then fire on, like batter in, do it. Because at the end of the day, it's kind of like teaching styles. I almost kind of always kind of refer to this. So if I, as as an English teacher, want to teach the Great Gatsby and three people in the same corridor are also teaching the Great Gatsby, we will all do that in a slightly different way. The kind of general knowledge and skill set about the book will still be the same. You know, the green light will still have Mm. the same symbolic meaning. The characters will still have the same agendas and whatever but we will all go about that in a different way. And I don't think that should be any different just because something's digital. Everybody has a style, a teaching style that works for them. And subsequently, therefore, as a result, everybody should have digital tools that work Mm -hmm. for them and complement their teaching style. Yeah, I totally agree because there's benefits to both. Um, The two main ones that are kind of in schools are Teams and um, Google Classroom. I think Google Classroom is like very intuitive and it's very like click here, that'll take you there sort of thing. But Teams has got that, it's a familiarity. Everyone knows what Microsoft Word is, what Excel mm-hmm. is. Like these are these are like cornerstones in the business industry as well. Like mm-hmm. um, so those are definite skills that are going to be needed when you go into the work environment because they might be using that medium per se sort of thing. And it's like what you say, there's no one size fits all. It's definitely on a school by school basis and a teacher by teacher basis. Yeah. Um, I think it's important for schools to maybe buy into the same one. Maybe not going from di- from just so if people are listening, a uh, school is like it's a, a, cl- a Google Classroom school or a Teams school, just so there's like that kind of um, streamline throughout their learning experience. So there's not sort of a kind of going from one to the other, teacher mm. to teacher. If you know mm-hmm. what I mean, I think that's mm-hmm. important to go out, which is which is great as well is when we're talking about you know the different platforms and preparing young people for life learning and work you can't possibly as a teacher train them up on every single platform and every single Mm -hmm. that they might then go and use but actually the skills that they're developing are the same across them all like you know even from the basic things on knowing how to save a document and retrieve a document typing skills you know design skills when you're making a presentation it doesn't matter if you're using google slides or if you're using powerpoint like that idea that skill set is still the same and it's actually once you start doing that 
it becomes quite easily transferable. Um, I, I think there's almost a, a kind of an inflated problem, and I'm doing like air quotes, mm -hmm. problem of the thing of like, oh, well, they, but they won't know how to use X if they go on. Yeah. But they'll, you know, once you've typed and saved a document somewhere, it's not a, a leap to yeah, no, like definitely. a document elsewhere. The skill set is the same. Definitely. Like that. So we going on to question number four now. We're talking about good good practice and we're staying on the digital theme. Um, and we've talked about the digital tools. Um, are there any digital tools you would recommend? And can you give examples of how best to use these? So we're talking about good practice just now. Maybe there's an example of when you've been teaching, or maybe there's something that you're in, or using right now. Like my example probably just now would be the use of Adobe Spark or the use of mm -hmm. Moat. Um, Adobe Spark to create uh, essentially informative and creative ways to bring stories to life. And then Moat essentially is a verbal feedback tool mm -hmm. that you can provide to pupils as well, which I think improves the quality of the feedback they're receiving in this sort of instance when you are learning from home. So is there anything that you would maybe think about in your practice that you've used that you would recommend? Yeah, well, one of my favourites to use in the classroom is Mentimeter. I know that there are a lot of uh, sort of quiz-based softwares out there and everyone's got their favourites. Um, but I quite like that in Mentimeter you've got the different types of slides so you can do different things depending on what you want the outcome to be. They've actually just added a new type of slide which is amazing. It's called Pin on Image. I don't okay. know if you've seen Richard Osman's House of Games. And Not seen it but I'm kind of following what the medium is that you've used because I use, I, I use um, Quiz Is. Right. Is it I, that sort of thing? Yeah, kind of. So, But basically you get three slides um but all the different slides do different things so you can have like a word cloud slide where the kids type in words that's really good for like vocabulary tasks or you can have a one that's almost like post-its that that appear on the slide in real time as they're answering um but the pin on image one is you put on an image and you ask the pupils to press on their device where they think the answer is so if you were doing, for example, I don't know, this is me going to try and make up some PE example that I've got no clue about, right? But let's say you were teaching, I don't know, like some form of like exercise type thing. And you were like, okay, so blah, 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 the hamstrings. You could have a picture of a human body and they've got to press on where yeah. the hamstring is. So it's really good for like identifying tasks. So like tasks where they've got to identify anything. Um, so like using it for things like you know word types so if I want to test the very quickly how many people in my class know what a verb is I could put up a picture of a sentence and they've got to hit on the screen where the verb is and that gives me a real quick snapshot of right yeah most of them know or no most of them don't know um, mm -hmm. but there's yeah there's loads of other types of slides for that as well I think they're really quick to make really easy to use the kids really enjoy using them and you can save them afterwards as a uh, pdfs or as image files to share yeah. with the kids that's, that's, it's definitely in the next couple of weeks there's going to be some sort of, it'll be like a blended model we move towards and it's good to have these things in the bank that we can use uh, to just make it a little bit more engaging it's yeah. it's very easy to sit on uh meet and turn it into a lecture yeah. but they're not at that stage in their learning journey where that's going to be effective for them yeah. because I mean I did fall asleep at a lecture at uni once yeah. um but it was, it was two and a half who has like two and a half hour lectures for a start <laughs> like, <laughs> um so so I you know that's good so is that mentimeter and then mentimeter. Is that, and then, and then 
my other favorite my favorite 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 tool and this is where i'm going to be like oh like she's going on about ipads and whatever. but genuinely my favorite digital tool is one of the core apps on an ipad or on an ios device called keynote um which often gets billed as a oh well it's kind of like powerpoint but see the versatility of what it can do is unbelievable so yes you can use it for mm -hmm. presentation software but you can also use it for a, a multitude of things and it's so intuitive so one of my favorite things um that we've done with keynote um, and the class is, um, our, we had a wee task where the kids had to dress a set and take a picture um, and then they put it into Keynote and marked up, like labelling why they chose certain props or certain colour schemes and stuff. And when they airdrop it to me, I can then use the same Keynote that they've sent me and just add a little voice recording to give the feedback and That's then awesome. pop it straight back to them and they've got it straight away. Um and I think that's really, really powerful. There's like we're building a resource just now, which we want to be as inclusive as possible. So we've got the little keynote audio button where if you can't read the screen, you can just press the little button and, and I will read it to you or someone will read it to you. Um, mm. So really good for developing stuff that that is, you know, really inclusive and allows young people to show things maybe in a, in a different way than just typing or writing. But just to kind of highlight the the sort of um, versatility of it, I also use it with my higher media class. So if they are making films, they often uh, want to make title cards, um, you know, the sort of credits bit before like you get into the actual film. And they use Keynote as an animation piece of software where they animate. Uh, that, that's cool. And, and then pop it into their film at the end. So... You know, you're using it for verbal feedback, you're using it for presentation, you're using it for kids to work collaboratively together, you can use it for kids to do creative tasks. It, it does so much. I can't honestly see if they had like a, I don't know, some kind of like keynote champion style person, it would be me 100% because... Brilliant. I, I do, they have a, do they have a badge for keynote? Well, you get a badge for keynote when you do your Apple teacher. Um, Apple teacher, right, okay. I, I would like to become the official spokesperson uh, for keynote because well, we can plug that now we can tag them when we when we treat <laughs> this we can definitely that sounds good because for me I, i'm not an app teacher i've not done that badge mm -hmm. yet um but um for me keynote was sold to me as i was like you said keynote was i that's like powerpoint and then you went into it a bit more but it sounds like it's a bit more powerful on what you could can do it does so honestly I'd, i don't think there's anything that i couldn't do with keynote apart from maybe get it to wash my car <laughs> there we go I'm definitely going to get the ambassador badge by a comment like that um, so question number five here um, we're talking about throughout your career have there been any particular highlights memorable moments has there been an experience where you feel you may have made a, li made a lifelong impact on an individual's learning journey Just so this question essentially is your career is there a highlight that you can think about this is the moment where I was like this is, where, this is why I'm in the job I think there are I think there are so many examples that, that you can draw from. I think we all have, you know, those individual mm -hmm. moments where we've helped individual kids and then you've got that sort of larger scale type stuff. So um for for me, one of the, the most rewarding things has been a, a, a young girl who obviously I won't name um who arrived in S1 and was relatively like shy and quiet, I would say. 
uh, but I had a real interest in, in film, particularly in animation. Um, and I was her teacher for quite some time. And just to see, and we've all got these stories of that individual learner going yeah. from strength to strength. And there was, you know, a moment where she was standing up in front of a, a charitable organization's board of directors presenting an animation that she had made as a piece of like freelance work almost for them. And just to see, I mean, she was, I think she was 14 at the time. And to see her being able to stand up and do that and present this unbelievable animation. Um, yeah, proud teacher moment. Yeah, have all these people being like, oh my goodness, like, I, I can't believe that she's done this. But then equally, I didn't teach her how to animate. All I kind of taught her and supported her with was that, you know, go for it. Like, take it. Confidence in self, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of other other sort of moments that are, that are bigger, I think this kind of comes along to the idea of extracurricular activities, which are also a huge part of a teacher's life. Um, and being able to influence young people and being able to to help young people along and um, our Larbert High into film film club um, has been a huge part of my extracurricular sort of work and one really really proud moment for me was we had a, a podcast uh, that the kids made and run and we actually had the CEO of into film Paul Reeve come up and visit our school and the kids like basically were like well, can we get you on the podcast then? <laughs> and he awesome, like, yes. Eh, aye, all right then. So they interviewed him. And I'm not joking, the, the level of professionalism that these young people had on this podcast, dealing with somebody who was, you know, I would say fairly high profile, certainly for them, you know, it was, it was their, oh, definitely. You know, their little into film club and he's the guy that, that you know, runs the whole entire thing from London. Um and they were so relaxed and they were so professional and they they had such a good time and afterwards you know he was just like I can't believe like that's one of the most professional interviews I've ever been involved in and these it's boys awesome. are 12 you know yeah and when you see and I think that's where the proud moments come from where you see your kids standing up on their own and doing stuff and you're just like yes mate go on like go on yourself I, I, I knew you could do it that's why I made you. <laughs> I knew you yeah. could do it. Uh, yeah, and there's always that, just that one feeling that comes with it. Um, right. On top of that, and just encouraging them as well as like get, going beyond self doubt and really pushing yourself. The whole like growth mindset might be a buzzword, but it's a skill that people, that young people, struggle to get into the mindset of that they yeah. can achieve if they apply themselves. And that's like our job essentially. Uh, like my dad taught me to swim by chucking me in the deep end. I don't re recommend you do that with pupils. There's, there's ways of doing it. There's ways of doing it. Um, but definitely just proud teacher moments. And yeah. that's why you keep, you keep coming back after it as well. You get, And as you say, and so has most people on the pod podcast so far. Um, so, like one of, for example, one person was a student teacher. So she only had a, a couple of ideas of this sort of thing that she's done during her placements. But... There's so many you can choose from. I know. But so many a, you can choose what from. What a privilege. It's one of the privilege of privileges of our profession, like to be able to be a champion for a young person, to be able mm -hmm. to be that person that's helped them to realise, oh, wait a minute, I can do this. I am capable. I, I can, I can, I can. Like to be able to be that for someone else is such a, 
you know, I keep like privilege, honor, whatever, but it is like it you know, totally if, is. If you've got the chance to to help someone realize their potential, that's that's a hugely gratifying thing to be able to do. Yeah, and emphasis on what you said there, it's, it is an honour to be someone's champion. It's brilliant. Mm -hmm. like, and that's a de definitely a great way of putting it. And this kind of brings us towards the end of the podcast um, where I like to ask this question, where it kind of chill out, relax. We've, had, we've shared our best practice. We've shared our journey. Um, if you had a blank slate curriculum where all cards could be on the table, what subject would you like to see added to the Scottish curriculum? And my example for this is... I would love to reconnect with skateboarding. That's mm -hmm. what I did when I went through like my wee mosher phase at school. <laughs> um, but that and P a PE setting would be fantastic to see. And I did actually see a university down south who had a skateboard teacher come in and teach the PE students skateboarding. I was like, that's what I want to happen up here. So like, I can't, it can't happen. But and then Tony Hawk to teach that, obviously. Mm -hmm. he'd, he'd be the one. I know a guy who was a PE teacher up in Aberdeen, I think he still is in Aberdeen, who did a parkour like thing as part of his PE, which was Yeah, I've taught parkour, yeah. Have you? <laughs> yeah. Um the so like obviously there's like gymnastics is a massive factor in that. So I was at one school where in S1 they get taught um gymnastics in first year to get the base skills, then in S2 they get taught parkour then in S3 they do sports acro where they've got all those big mad lifts remember those I can't remember what they were called from Britain's Got Talent who won it when they're doing all like the big people pyramids and all the different ah, bolts um, so that I like that progression through it but yeah no parkour is something and we've got loads of parkour resources as well my um, my parkour skills are at the level of I would say sort of Michael Scott Dwight Schrute Andy Williams <laughs> sort of that but, kind of absolutely <laughs> brilliant cold open from the office that was my first lockdown where I watched all that again oh I'm in the middle of doing it again <laughs> and it's just a joy it's so good um, right this question I honestly I've come up with about five different things mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm going to have to be selective so my serious answer is um, activism. So yes. I think that there's a lot of emphasis on like, you know, pupil voice, student voice, teaching young people to step up in that. But And there's a lot of people doing great work in that sort of field. But actually, a, a wee course on how to actually make your voice heard in effective ways and effective ways of challenging the establishment or challenging the established order or challenging society and you know, making people aware of, of the things that are important to you as a young person is a hugely valuable skill um, that people could you know, do a lot more with. Um, and that answer was entirely inspired by a group of young women at Larbert High actually called uh, the Ladies uh, at the Ladies LHS on Twitter, mm -hmm. who took it upon themselves to um, start basically a campaign to reduce the stigma around um, periods and period poverty. Yep. And they do such a fantastic job. And sometimes I look at them and I think, how did you do this? Like, how did you pull your resources, pull your collective energy, get organized and get active? Like, you've mm -hmm. just done that off your own back. That's amazing. And I just think how many more young people would have something to contribute to our society on a, a much bigger scale if we could teach them how to, you know, get organised and, and, yeah. and do it. I think that would be amazing. Uh, candidates for teaching it, I mean, obviously Greta. 
Yeah, um, obviously. Like, obviously. But then there's also lots of really good sort of activists who do a lot on like social media type stuff. So like, uh, you know, Rachel Ricketts or Rachel Cargill. Um, you don't have to be called Rachel to be an activist. Those are two, two yeah. people who do it well. Um, and yeah, like you could get lots of organisations involved, you know, get Amnesty in there and, you know, stuff like that. So I think that would be really good because I think young people have a lot to say and they've also got a vested interest in what happens to society because they're the ones that are going to inherit, you know, the mess that whatever it is that we make of, of the world. So they deserve a say and they should have a say. And if we could te teach them how to do that effectively, that would be good. Awesome. My not serious answer. Go for it. Something that I've been thinking about a lot recently during lockdown is as an adult, I feel like the hardest thing about being an adult or one of the hardest things about being an adult is having to choose every single day of your life what to have for dinner. <laughs> So, like, maybe some kind of, like, I know they do this in, like, health, uh, health and well-being and, like, FCT or H, uh, home economics or whatever, but just some kind of, like, lesson on, like, lots of different meals that you could have and, the you know, the, yeah, <laughs> someone like to choose for you, maybe. Me, or... me and Celeste were lockdown one. <laughs> uh, within the first week, two weeks, we're, like, we're eating the same dinners. Right. And we've um, we've actually invested heavily in cooking books. Mm -hmm. Like we've we've almost got a whole shelf in our bookshelf of cooking books mm -hmm. that we've just been going through. And you you see, we've got the post-it notes for the ones that we like. Yeah. And um, that's because uh, we were doing spag ball fajitas. Aye, <laughs> like just your yeah. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, like I think even coming out when I went into uni halls, I was kind of like doing the same sort of thing. Uh, like, what can I actually cook? It wasn't yeah. until like my fourth year at uni I found out what a sweet potato was and how to make sweet potato yeah. fries. I, I was I was like, this is amazing. I hate sweet potatoes. <laughs> oh, I think I'm the only person in the world that doesn't like them. So in in the ideal world, who would teach this um, meal selection course that we've come up with? Don't know. I, like, I don't know because you didn't want it to be like some mad highfalutin chef who's going to be like oh well you need this special kind of pepper that's only grown in Peru yeah. or whatever um so maybe like just some folks mums yeah just a group really of mums that come in yeah <laughs> just like folks mums <laughs> yeah folk, like, actual home cooking not not jamie oliver i was like not jamie oliver definitely not jamie oliver it was like that it was like that part of the sorting hat harry potter like not jamie oliver aye not if jamie i was <laughs> A professional chef, I would pick Monica Galetti from MasterChef, the professional Awesome, chef, yeah. Because yeah. I love her and she's great. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, that, okay, that brings us to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for coming on to Beard.Ed Chat and being our first uh, member of the Beard.Ed generation that is not in the classroom and sharing some highlights throughout your career. It's been absolutely fantastic to have you. Thanks very much. I've had a great time. Well, folks, that was an inspiring and informative episode of Beard.Ed Chat. Although on secondment, you can really tell that Kerry has a passion for teaching and is a driving force for transformative digital change in schools. It was clear that she wasn't necessarily always going to be a teacher, but she definitely found herself on the correct career trajectory. We covered a lot in that episode, empowering teachers, supporting pupils, sharing good practice, and showing how digital learning can improve the learning experience of our young people. I particularly enjoyed when Kerry shared her career highlights, 
especially when her pupils set up and interviewed one of the executives of the, her Into Film Club. Supporting and encouraging pupils is every teacher's responsibility, but it is, it is an absolute privilege. As always, if you'd like to come on the show, do not hesitate to get in contact with me on Twitter, at MrLynch93. And remember, beards are not essential, but love of teaching is. <laughs>